Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. And in today's episode, Benji and I are unpacking something that's brand new for us and for all y'all, obviously, which is our stages of developing sexual integrity. We've been looking to make a roadmap in High Noon since our inception, since six plus years ago in High Noon, but we never committed to actually writing it down. It was something we've left, I think, unconsciously until we had the foundation to speak about it. Because in the beginning of High Noon, we were just talking about pornography. We didn't really have a recovery system. But now that we've been at it for years, we have helping people go from trapped and addicted to liberated and fulfilled. And we have outlined this in the five stages that we've created. Now, this model that we have is heavily based on something called the trans-theoretical model of change. If you look at the stages of change or you put in trans-theoretical, it'll pop up. And we've used different words to describe each stage. And also we have some nuance based on the stuff that High Noon deals with. But we're going to include the graphs that we've created, the images. But I also suggest that you learn about this model. You know, you could do a YouTube deep dive in the trans theoretical model of change. But basically, guys, please understand that if you can learn based on your feelings and your behaviors, which stage you are in, especially in terms of sexual integrity, it will save you so much time and effort because each stage requires different skills, different focus, and one resembles the other, but they are unique. So I really recommend that every single person learn where they're at and understand that we're all on this journey. And when you get to the last stage, it's a forever stage that requires daily maintenance. So I hope it helps. We did a deep dive and I think it's a really helpful episode for anybody who wants to learn how to change because this applies to any area of your life. And if you can learn this in terms of sexual integrity, you can apply it in your physical health, in your wealth, it can be applied in any area of your life. So. I hope you enjoy and let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are recording in the last week of 2022, but you're going to hear this later. We have a huge back catalog that we're going through between the reality now and what you guys are going to be listening to. I hope you enjoyed all those. Those are the recordings from the winter online winter, winter program. program. We've been meaning to make a roadmap for a long time so that you can know where you're at in your journey so that you can kind of measure yourself and say, oh, based on my feelings, based on my present habits, this is where I'm at in terms of a stage of recovery. And we were kind of looking for different models because we don't want to reinvent the wheel, but nothing ever fits perfectly that's already pre-invented, but we can learn and inherit from smart people. So when I was doing a deep dive, I found the stages of change. One name is stages of change. The other name is it the trans theoretical model of behavior change. Yeah, that's it. It's been around for a while and it's used by a lot of people as a great model of how people go from thinking about changing to the various stages of change until you are a changed person. So we've yeah. kind of taken those, but adapted those to our world and our language, our idiom, our synapses. So 
we have a roadmap called the High Noon Roadmap to Sexual Integrity. And Benji, just so that you can know, I feel like a great goal for 2023 for High Noon is to get so clear on identifying what does fulfillment really look like? Because it's actually the goal of all religions, pretty much most religions, maybe not Scientology. And it's the goal of, I guess, a lot of therapy is like to be a healthy, happy. And even in the addiction world, right? The opposite of addiction is connection or fulfillment, being deeply fulfilled. But what does that mean? Because fulfillment and happiness are very different. But what is fulfillment? So we're going to really do a deep dive. I'm committed to like nailing that down for everybody. What is fulfillment? But these five stages that we're going to go over, it's our stab at a very clear roadmap so that you can go from, if you're just listening to the podcast, to actually taking some proactive steps to completely transforming your life. And this works with sexual integrity, but it works with any aspect of your life. It's really clear, but also like Andrew and I are talking daily with guys who are going through these stages of changes. And I'm excited just to kind of share some real life examples and things like that. So stage one is trapped in unaware. Life isn't working out well, but you are stuck blaming other people and circumstances for your problem or addiction or whatever. So that's stage one. That's like where so many people are before they meet High Noon or they hear about High Noon and they're like, I don't need that stuff. Mm. It's like you're really not happy with the way life is going. But in a way, it kind of feels like that's all Mm. that life can be. You're so used to it. You're like, this is my lot in life. You can't even say sometimes that you are addicted. You're just like, this is what people are. This is where online trolls come in to our world a lot. It's like, were you trying to tell me that porn is bad? It's bad for you. Come on. I like it. It helps me. You know, this kind of thing. It's like, they don't even know how they sound to us, how naive and justified they sound to us, you know? Yeah. It's like the typical comment, which is like, what are you talking about? Porn is, I enjoy it. It brings me happiness. Yeah. What's the problem? There's very little self-awareness at this stage, if any at all, because essentially you feel simultaneously, think about these conflicting energies. One is you feel totally justified, like what I'm doing is just fine. So don't tell me what to do. I like it, blah, blah, blah. It's like the state of being justified. But conversely and simultaneously, you're experiencing extreme dissatisfaction with life and discomfort. So you're like, I can do what I want, but what you're doing is not working and it doesn't feel good. It's not giving you the results that you're looking for, but these are completely different energies. One is like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Leave me alone. And the other one is like, I'm completely not fine and I hate my life but they're happening simultaneously within the same human being. It's really interesting because the Spartan program is kind of an opportunity or testing lab to figure out why is it that people take so long to decide to change. And it's interesting that there are a lot of guys that join the program who are like, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who've been struggling for decades with porn, and they finally decided to do something about it. And so it's really interesting to see them go through this mental process of like living for so, so many years in just denial essentially in this stage one which is just i don't think i have much of a problem i can continue to live as a functional user of porn or whatever it is something changes right and so i think that's later on in this process of change but i'm just noticing that a lot of people are stuck there for many many years in the first stage and they just are okay with that absolutely i mean it depends on your level of dysfunction but how many alcoholics are there that have no idea that they have a drinking problem. You know, I remember this one dude, I worked in a warehouse 
two summers in a row. It was the best paying, worst living situation ever. I hated every second. And there's a dude who was drunk on the job constantly. His insides gave up. They put up the white flag and they're like, we can't function. But he was at the time when he was at work and dead, he was still intoxicated. There's yeah. just like alcohol. So he was drunk all day, every day. And I remember him very clearly mumbling a lot when he talked to him. Did that guy have any awareness that life could be anything other than that? That's the thing is like when you're there, the title of it is Trapped and Unaware. I don't know if they have 0% idea that they're addicted at this stage, but it's that they don't know that life could be different. This is pre-epiphany. It's like you just feel deeply in your bones that this is what your life is going to look like forever because you don't see any alternative. You know what I mean? And it's kind of dismal. Obviously, it's depressing, but you find a way to live in that state. You have to. Human beings are very adaptive, and we will find a way to live even in the most miserable states. But in this place, you're suffering, but you know this is just as good as life can get. This stage, like information doesn't help nearly as much as just somebody being there in their life. That's like, hey, I love you no matter what. Or like giving them some glimpse of an alternative reality that you're not destined to live like this unless you want to. Like hanging around a different crowd definitely helps when you're like, whoa. You know what I mean? Like when I joined a religious order, <laughs> I guess that's what we're called, right? I started hanging around people who were religious and I was like, whoa, people live like this? Like you guys aren't all just having sex with each other all the time and drinking all the time. I'm like, that's interesting. I didn't even know that people like you existed and you seem so wholesome and happy. It's like, I didn't believe that I could do what they did and live like they lived, but I was like breathing fresh air for the first time if all you know is toxic waste. And maybe you don't believe that it could ever happen again, but you know that something else exists. It's like a little drip in your imagination to say that, hey, other people are living in a different way. It's incredibly titillating. There's one story of a guy that I was mentoring. He started working with me because he was trying to get blessed. He's trying to go with the blessing. He's trying to go through a matching process. And he did a blessing interview. And then the blessing interviewer found out he has an ongoing porn addiction, right? And he's trying to get into a matching a relationship. And so the interviewer kindly requested that he join High Noon program to help address his porn habit. So that's when I started mentoring him. And this was the personally challenging people for me to work with because he had no personal desire to change, right? He was really in stage one. And I would ask him questions like, why do you tend to want to go to porn masturbation? And he's like, I don't know. And so I started asking about his emotions. I was like, so what emotional state do you find yourself in when you, the last time that you relapsed or acted out? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah. So I point blank told him, I was like, you are, you know, in a loving way, like, I love you, but you are so emotionally numb to your emotions and to yourself that you don't even know why you have this tendency to run away. And as long as that's the case, you will always be unfulfilled in your relationships and you will always find a way to escape in your marriage. And you will not thrive. I just told him, like, honestly. And I asked him, like, when you hear me say that, how do you feel? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I gave him, like, homework. I prescribed. No, I gave him homework. I was like, I want you to every day check in with me by text and let me know how you feel at the end of the day. Like, check in with your emotions. And I yeah. said it strong. I was like, unless you do this and figure this out, how to release your emotions in a productive way because you've been squashing them and numbing them 
your entire life since you were yeah. a teenager, essentially, with video games, social media, porn, whatever it is. We started doing that. And it was hard for me because his check-ins were like, today was good. No emotions. Today was great. <laughs> no emotions. Like no negative emotions. Yeah. I was like, this guy has something going on, right? Until there was like a little hint of stress in his life. I was like, great, you're feeling stress. That's okay. Mm. Let's talk about that. That's a normal human emotion that you're going to feel your entire life. So the question is, how do you deal with that? So his practice was like, he was at a fork in the road every time he was stressed. It was like, I can either go to video games, social media, YouTube, porn, or I can address this and internalize and try to talk to somebody about it, which he didn't know how to do. So the next time we're on a call, like a few weeks later, I asked him again, like, what have you learned about why you have this porn habit? And he's like, well, because I feel stressed and I just don't know how to address that stress. I was like, bingo, that's it. Personally, it was hard to go through this because I had to like peel an onion and I kept having to dig deeper into him. But for him, I believe it was a very beneficial experience in this mentorship because he started understanding why he had the habit and he was able to address at the most basic level. It's like, I'm stressed. I don't know how to deal with stress. And the easiest way that I found to deal with stress is just to go to porn. There are deeper things than that in most cases. But for him, just knowing that was a huge step for him. Sure. And so he finished the program and then he ended up having a great experience and donating the deposit that I asked for, that High Noon asked for people that joined the Spartan program, just to like make sure that they take it seriously. And then yeah. he ended up donating instead of getting a refund. I was like, great. So for me, a realization that sometimes painful for me to have these conversations, this is kind of more of an extreme case. But it's amazing to see that if people really do the work and they're willing to even consider why I might have this, then that's the really big step. And there's so much yeah. that people can grow. He really took the next step. Like he was in stage one and I feel like he really went to stage two and beyond actually through the process. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important to note where a lot of people are is at this stage, their habit is blaming the world for their problems. So it's like, well, what are you feeling? First of all, a lot of people, unless they're taught, they don't have a vocabulary for what they're feeling. They don't know how to identify it because it's all just this mixed bag and they don't have the words for it. They're completely unaware. When somebody's like, I don't know how I feel, it's a genuine response. And unless you learn the language of what is my body telling me and where am I feeling it? When I started going into this, I had a really hard time being sincere because people are like, where are you storing your emotions and stuff like that? I was like, do we have to do this? It sounds so stupid, but it's a skill set of learning what are you feeling? Where in your body are you storing that energy? Because that's actually super important because if you keep on doing that, guess what? You're going to get sick. All sorts of stuff happens mentally, physically, whatever. But then learning the language of what is this trying to tell me? But at this stage, it's just like, no, this person hurt me. It's very much like a child. Yesterday, my kids got into a fight my youngest guy was just angry and he said, this guy did this to me. And I was like, well, what did you do to him? And he couldn't answer me because all he could see in his fit of rage was what the other guy did to me, that life wasn't fair. And then later I heard the whole story and it's, he wasn't as innocent as he might've presented himself to be. But that's where we're at. You're the kind of victim. You're just the victim and life sucks and it's just how it is. And again, if every single one of your friends drinks when they get back from work and you do too then that's just what people do when they get back from work but you don't look at like well how were you feeling before you had that drink when you got home they're like i don't know it was a long day it's like okay so what did you feel it's like it's hard to unpack the fact that you're stressed out and you don't know how to deal with that stress and that's why you're reaching out for that drink unless you put in the work so this stage is really about 
kind of being blind. You're essentially blind at stage one, which is trapped and unaware. That unawareness, that lack of awareness is blindness. Okay, so we really, I think, outlined that. And that could be somebody's whole life, you know, in terms of like length, because based on the trans theoretical model of change, they labeled certain stages as taking a certain period of time. Stage one can be your whole life if you're really unfortunate, if you don't mm -hmm. ever get confronted by somebody or by life and you just remain unaware and trapped. Stage two, Benji, what's stage two? Stage two is open to suggestions. You're becoming aware that your life could change, but it sounds too hard and you're still not that motivated. Yeah. So you're like, oh yeah, I heard of this thing called high noon. And like, that's for those people. That's for addicts. You're still like not aware of maybe how bad what it is that you're doing is for you. And so you're like, oh yeah, I heard some people do high noon. Those are kind of like weirdos or like, I'm not like that kind of guy. It's the same with religion, right? It's like, yeah, these people are kind of cool and they seem like their life is a lot less filled with drama, but I'm not like a religious guy. Like, I'm not the kind of guy who wants to say God and stuff like that. It's not me because I'm over here. And regardless of my results, the fact that I'm miserable, it's not me because it just feels like it's not a part of your identity because it's not. You haven't changed your identity yet. So your identity is still stuck in this dysfunction. So for PMO, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to talk about myself with other people. Even though you need to, there's like a process of healing and it involves opening up to people and talking about what's going on. And that's a mandatory part of it. But for people in the beginning, they're like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that kind of stuff. It's funny, right? It's like, I'm not comfortable with change, <laughs> but you are comfortable suffering. <laughs> what you're comfortable with is not working. So you should get uncomfortable. Stage two is like, you're not sure if you're willing to walk across that uncomfortable bridge of changing right. yourself, regardless of the results that you're experiencing. Yeah, I think this stage is really like starting to see my life from long-term perspective. Tangential example is like someone who sees health from a long-term perspective will know very clearly that doing the things that are healthy, exercise, whatever the correct diet is for you, whatever it is, right? Those things long-term are actually a lot easier than the alternative, which is to not do anything which is yeah. a more risky thing. But if someone's thinking short-term, yeah, exercise is hard. Strength training is hard. Dieting is hard. Walking is hard. But long-term, it's not. It's actually the easier path, the path of least yeah. resistance, because the hardest thing is being unhealthy, dying early, or living the last 10, 20 years of your life in a wheelchair. Like, that's really hard. As people climb the stages of change, they start to think more long-term perspective. And so, yes, talking with people about your internal state can be hard sometimes, but again, the alternative is not understanding ourselves and sacrificing our emotional state to the point where we're constantly up and down, feeling depressed, feeling bored, feeling happy. Like imagine what you could do and have if you knew how to regulate that and how to have more control. One key distinction of this stage between this and the next one is your conscience is now awake. You have some awareness that some aspect of your life isn't working. And it's growing, it's kind of nagging, but if there's a scale, it's far more tilted in the direction of not changing than change. It's probably a good idea, but there's not enough reasons for you to give up because say in PMO, like you can still see the benefits and the benefits still outweigh the negatives in your mind. But now you are aware that there are negatives because before that you're like, you couldn't make the correlation between your 
moods and like being in a really bad mood and acting out with porn, right? But now you're starting connecting the dots a little bit more, but it's still like your precious baby is like, I'm not going to give up this one thing that's been helping me for so long. It's too much work and I'd have to change and it's not that bad, right? So you're like, it's probably not great, but it's also not that bad. From an emotional perspective, it kind of makes sense. Like you have a little bit of guilt and regret popping up, but it's just like a little pang because your conscience is like malnourished and it's just barely awake. So it's not strong enough to really rattle you. It's just kind of like whispering, hey, hey, kind of like a little weenie, like a little weak friend is like, hey guys, we probably shouldn't do this. And you're like, shut up, Poindexter. <laughs> you know, like, leave me alone. In terms of stage two, what they say in the literature through the case studies is this can last anywhere between one month and 24 months before somebody's really compelled to change, before life circumstance pushes you into a place where you have to change because you get busted. Your conscience just starts to scream and it just becomes too annoying that you got to do something. So for people who are really primed and ready to go, it could be like a month where they're like, ah, I think I should, but I don't want to. And for other people, they can drag their feet for a lot longer, almost over two years. Oh, decades. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the first question I have is like, when I hear that, I'm like, wow, 24 months sounds terrible. How do I fast track that and do the one month thing? Because if I say one month to 24 months, my first thought is like, they focus on the 24 months. That's two years. How does someone fast track that so they can change? There are many micro changes we can make. It's not just like, am I watching porn? Am I not watching porn? It's like, there are many micro decisions that lead people to develop that type of addiction. We're all trying to change and grow. So I'm wondering like, how do I change my behavior on anything in a shorter period of time? I think real life cases are people who showed up for an event, right? They're like, I kind of didn't want to go. I thought it might be awkward. And just by them showing up, committing to something, it's not like the full action, but it's like I'm committing to the next step. They eventually catch up. I was getting that a lot this tour that we did, the sub-regional tour, where we had a lot of people show up that were kind of on the edge and kind of didn't want to go, but something compelled them to go. And because they went, now they can sign up for a group. Now they can feel free to take the appropriate actions. Like going to an event is never going to give you permanent change, but it's going to usually thrust you into a position where you do take the necessary action. So it could be signing up for a call with one of us. If we're coming to an event, it's like going to the event. It's like you're starting the motion of change. You're, you're moving that train into a little bit of motion. It's kind of tricky because it's like when someone's in this stage, it's hard. The reason it's hard is because they're in this stage. Because yeah. the examples that you gave, it's like taking action, take a leap of faith. But when you're in it, that's the last thing you want to do. So it can be frustrating, I think. I've noticed that people sometimes will join a program when they are at a situation where they're faced with a spouse that's like threatening them in their marriage, or they got caught, or they are in a situation where they have a child who's addicted and they feel like the guilt of that or something like that. I don't think that people have to wait for that. And I think that the reason that people are able to change at that point or decide to change is because the impact of their decisions is profoundly like face-to-face -face with them and they can see clearly yeah. how their actions have negatively affected. I think you can fast track that. That's been my experience in my own like behavior changes is that I always try to 
acknowledge and recognize how my actions have negatively impacted my life already. Not in the future, not when I have kids, not when I'm married, not when I'm a grandpa. It's like right now, how has my decision to be this way and to have this habit impacted my life right now? And when you feel that, when you really feel how something's drastically changed things for you, then that's, I think, the catalyst for change for a lot of people. And I think that's when people actually do take action is when they see that. So yeah, I have them do that early on and I have them sit down for like an hour and just pray, meditate and write down in a journal. How has porn affected these areas of my life, my relationships, my emotions, my relationship with God? And I have them write it down and to the point where they actually can feel how much their decisions have impacted them because then they can start to change because people don't have to wait until they're married in a relationship and get caught. They don't have to do that. Yeah, it's true. Most people join a high noon program when they're about to go into a relationship. They're entering the matching or they're already in the matching. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. If you need anything, just give us a call and we'll help to get you from stage two to stage three. And now what is stage three, Benji? Stage three is you're on the edge of change, which is you really want to transform into a better version of yourself. And you're taking small steps to become ready. You're kind of preparing for change. One thing I was just thinking about is, have you ever gone cliff diving? No. It's incredible because there's a clear side of yourself, the self-preservation, let's play it safe side, that wants to do everything in his power to stop you from doing what you're about to do. But then there's also like this risk-taking side that wants to do it, right? And so, especially on really high cliffs, you watch each person go, and one at a time, you see that they're trying to get their body to move, but their body's stuck until they can finally just take the leap. And I remember going with my friends at this one cottage and the cliff was so high that the first guy that jumped, he jumped, waited a couple seconds. And then while he was falling, had enough time to say, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then he smashed. So it was like, you know, 60 feet or something. But after they had gone, I was like maybe third or fourth guy in. It was a lot easier for me because they showed that there weren't any rocks, <laughs> you know, that we wouldn't die if you did it. Some of them kind of got hurt, that it's going to kind of hurt, so you kind of prepare for it. But the fact that I was with a group of people doing it made that transition faster. So my body still didn't want me to go, some aspect of me, but I could take the leap a lot easier because they had already done it. Now, same with high noon. You have to understand that we've been doing this for years, so there's already so many people that are doing it. So if you hang out and you listen to testimonies from other people on the podcast, you come to our events, or you talk to other friends that have been in high noon, it will help you go from being curious to signing up a lot faster. Because now you're like, oh, other people have done this. It's not that hard. I can do this. People like me have done this. And it just compels you to action a lot more efficiently, I think. That's why, you know, on every website, there's always testimonials. Because testimonies are like, oh, other people did it, so I can do it too. And like, that's just human nature that 
if other people have etched out this difficult turf first, it makes it easier for me to then go. So to find somebody, and at this point, if you're listening to this podcast, especially, you know somebody who's been in a high noon program, talk to them, go reach out to them and say, you know, how's your experience? Maybe a helpful mental exercise that I sometimes ask during workshops and events, but I'll reiterate here is the blue pill, red pill exercise. If people are in this stage or even earlier, I think it might be helpful to think about, which is if you were offered a red pill and a blue pill and the blue pill meant that you can continue to live your entire life with porn and masturbation and you can live in that fantasy where you believe that porn and masturbation is great and awesome and benefits your life, whatever. And if you take the red pill, it's a magic pill that eliminates porn from your life forever. And you can never go back to it, even though you would want to. And that's the catch. You would still want to watch porn and masturbate or whatever your thing is, but you wouldn't be able to. Would you take the red pill? So it's a kind of a helpful exercise just to think like, okay, what stage am I actually serious about this thing? Or do I still believe that this PMO offers some benefit, some fleeting value or benefit to me? And the thing is though, even if you're not ready to give it up, even just taking action will help you to decide if you're ready to give it up. So even if someone's like, you know, I think I'll probably just take the blue pill and I'll still live with porn and masturbation in my life. Even if that's the case, if you just take action, the chances are the content of our programs or just having conversation with someone will convince you that actually this life without PMO and this life without shadows is a lot more enticing than the alternative. And another exercise you can do is like think if you had to quit porn because your life depended on it, some weird situation where if you did it again, you would die, you know, like diabetics who are like, you cannot eat this food anymore. If you did this behavior again, you can't do it anymore. How would your behavior change in that moment? How would you treat social media? How would you treat your spirituality, your daily routine, if that was the mm. case? These types of exercises are helpful for people who are trying to decide, like, should I do this? Should I do that? I don't know. And so at this stage, you know, what we learned from the trans theoretical model is that people are really looking for information. They want to know that at this stage that there's a plan. It's like, if you show me a roadmap, if you show me a plan to, to know that I'll be safe if I trust this process, that things will work out then they're much more likely to jump in. It's just like they want to know that if they do bother going through this transition, that it's not going to backfire. So you're kind of sniffing it out. You're watching a lot of content at this stage. You're doing a lot of research mm -hmm. and you're kind of preparing yourself. It's like when you have a new hobby and you start watching videos about build your own car or whatever, you become obsessed. And then before you buy the kit, your diligence to feel confident that I can do this. and so. People are gathering as much evidence as they can at this phase to convince themselves that they can change. A part of them believes it, but also their logical mind is stuck believing that things are just going to end up the way they always have. And you'll go backwards and you'll be humiliated. So you're kind of fighting that war, but it behooves you well to really do a deep dive, go down the rabbit hole until you are convinced sufficiently that you can change. It says typically lasts about a month where you're like really on the precipice and you're mm -hmm. contemplating like, seriously, I want to do this. And you're just kind of like, you pull up the sign up page on our website many times and then you close it out and then you do it. And then finally you just jump in. This lasts about a month. And then the next phase is what, Benji? Stage four out of five, which is action Jackson. Action Jackson. You've committed to the process of change and are experimenting with new habits. And so this is when you've actually, you know, signed up for a group. You're experiencing these tremendous 
chemical rewards for changing. Everything's new. It's like when you first go to the gym, the most that you'll ever feel amazing at a gym is actually in the first stage of going to the gym because you see the most transformation in the shortest period of time because you're going from somebody who doesn't work out to somebody who does and your body really responds. After that, the gains are a lot slower to come by. Any type of transformation is you get these giddy drugs of like, whoa, I went a week without watching porn. This feels amazing, right? And you feel like life is forever going to be like this. So it's somewhat euphoric because you're trying on this new life. It's like little kids who are start driving a car for the first time. It's exhilarating. It's terrifying, but it's also exciting. And so people are trying on this new version of themselves. And it's, again, simultaneously a multitude of different feelings from scary, cautious to, I don't know, this renewal, this resurrection, you know, takes place. People can be in this state for quite some time. It says about six months, typically, where you're not changed yet. You can still revert back to your old self. You can still give up on yourself. Your habits aren't solidified. They're still new. When you have a new habit, sometimes you have to write it down to remember doing it because it's easy to forget. When you're adopting new habits, like, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to check social media because I don't want to, right? Then you can still accidentally do it just because the habit is so deeply ingrained. It says six months. I say it could be a little bit longer, but they say on average, their studies show that six months is a good average Mm -hmm. where the thing still feels so new that you could forget and you could also easily revert back to who you were until it gets really etched into your character and your nature of like, this is who I am. It's not yet who you are, it's who you're still striving to be, if that makes sense, for those first six months where you're like still battling it out, but you have to still do it at a conscious level. It's not unconsciously ingrained in you yet. Yeah, what's crazy, I've seen many, many times where guys that I've mentored who are like, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, like long-term porn users. And then as soon as they get to this stage, they just stop going to the habit. Even though they've done it regularly every day or every other day for years, they just stop. They can't believe that they're in a stage where they could live without it. It's important stage because like you said, this is when people usually will put their guards down and say like, oh, I don't need porn anymore. I don't need the habit anymore because I'm good. And the thing is, it was just a decision I needed to make. To an extent, yes, it is a decision, but it's like, Maintaining that decision every day is where the next stage is, right? The lifetime maintenance. This is where people get tripped up. And of course, it's up and down. It's not just like constantly up from here. It's like you're going up. It's kind of like the stock market. If you follow, it's like relentlessly going up over time. But over a short period of time, it's like, yeah, there will be dips where you're just unmotivated, unexcited about life. And I think what trips people up at that moment is they think, oh, I'm still an addict because I messed up. I'm still who I was because I made one slip up. And that's when the panic happens. This is where people sell. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Start panicking because it went down a little bit, but they're not thinking from the long-term perspective, which is like over my whole life, am I going up, having an upward trajectory? And so the key is like to knowing that and just having a basic understanding of where I am. And that yes, there will be days where you're just not excited about your North Star. Like you're just not into it. Or sometimes you're just depressed and sad and stressed out or anxious or whatever. And you don't want to talk to anybody and you don't want to go join your high noon group because you're feeling this way. Or maybe you did make a slip up or a misstep. But if you think of it like, oh, woe is me, I'm still an addict in quotations and that come to that conclusion, then it's like you're not recognizing the progress that you've made. You're not recognizing that you've taken three steps up and you took one step back. Yeah. 
And that's the danger of seeing ourselves or labeling ourselves as I am an addict or I'm not an addict, right? And I'm big on this thing. I just don't think it's a helpful label to have. Because I think the reason that people say I'm an addict or I'm not an addict is because early on, especially early on the stages, they're trying to justify keeping a habit with them. If I can say I'm not an addict, that means I don't have to do anything about it. And that's why people ask that question fundamentally. And if I am an addict, that means I need to do something about it. But the reality is addiction is more of a scale than it is a black and white thing. It's like, yes, you have an addiction, but to what extent is that addiction affecting you? But if we always think of everything as like an addict and not a, he's an addict, he's not an addict, then it's actually defeating the point that it's about progress. And as soon as you take one step back, you think the conclusion is like, oh, I'm still addicted. I'm still here. I'm still exactly where I was. And you threw away your entire progress and you let yourself slide to the bottom of the mountain. And this is usually where people will start binging and spiraling out of control with depression and anxiety and stress and all this stuff. Yes, you are going to have to maintain this, but also recognizing that it's the path to recovery is often not linear. It's often not just going straight up, but sometimes you'll feel down. And that's why the programs are here. That's why Heinen's here. It's to help catch you and help lift you back up. That's why you have brothers and sisters to help you through the process. In some models, there's six stages of change, and one of them is lapse and relapses. And mm. we didn't include that because it's a natural part of this stage in particular, stage four, which is two steps forward, one step back. This nonlinear, like that graph, like the stock market, what you mentioned, but not to anticipate relapses and lapses. And the difference is a lapse is like a slip. And a relapse is a fall, like your face down in your old self. Your old self has just taken over and you've completely lost control. And a lapse is like a short vacation from your good judgment. And so that's a part of the process for sure. But a lot of addiction models, like you're saying, they say that it's good to refer to yourself as an addict for life. We had Hilda Weeman on this podcast before. And when I was talking to her very early on in High Noon, she was talking about a Chanogook model for addiction is that one day you're no longer addicted because you're fulfilled, in which case you're no longer an addict. That's who you were. And I would say you can absolutely do that. I think I'm living proof of that. I don't know about yourself. I would say Uncle Dave for sure is just like, it's kind of impossible that I would just binge watch porn at this point in my life, like karma, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the likelihood of that is in the decimal zero, 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 zero point, just because I've been face to face with it and it's got no pull because I've graduated from it. It doesn't mean that I don't have other problems or that I've reached some mm-hmm. state of perfection. But in that particular way, this thing that used to pull me has no power over me. That's somebody who's not recovered. I think just fulfilled in that particular way is is a healthy way of looking at it. And that's when you go from stage four to maintenance. Stage five is maintenance, which is maintaining this new identity. This is who I am. I'm the type of person who doesn't watch porn. I'm the type of person when he's frustrated, I deal with my emotions. I learn how to identify my emotions and who to talk to. And do I meditate? What do I do with it? When that becomes your default setting, then anything else feels weird. In the beginning, being this new person that you're trying to become is not your default, so it feels weird. But when you practice it, when you rehearse it enough, when it becomes native to you, then that's your default setting. And when you're stressed, you deal with it. 
When you're angry, you deal with it. You don't deal with it by watching porn. You do something else. And that's the maintenance level is like, it takes daily maintenance. This idea of like sexual integrity is proactive daily state of staying where you want to be. Not just avoiding disaster, but allocating your time and energy where you would want to put it. I think maybe a helpful analogy is like, if you think of it as climbing the mountain of sexual integrity, it's trying to stay at the top of the mountain. If it's a helpful visual, you can think of the top of the mountain as pretty slippery slope. It can sometimes be easy to slip down and sometimes you will. It's covered in snow. Sometimes it's a pointy mountain. And the trick is like, do you let yourself slide back further down the mountain or you just kind of get up and get back on the saddle? Yeah. And so you don't want to just be at the top of the mountain, freezing your butt off all day, every day by yourself alone. What would be the best way to live in this situation? It would be that you just create a house and you live there. And it's a platform that you can constantly stay and you can choose when to go back to the mountain to, to get groceries or to help other people climb the mountain. So And that, that doesn't mean watching porn in order to save no, somebody who's watching porn. <laughs> just, it means just helping others. It means yeah. That, yeah, it means helping others. It yeah. means you know that there are people at the bottom of the mountain that are struggling because yeah. you've been this mountain before. And when you're at the top of the mountain, that's when you live at high noon because you're closest to the sun and there's no shadows. And also your North Star is there. At the bottom of the mountain, it's like you don't feel, you are casting shadows and maybe your North Star is not clear because it's covered in clouds. But when you're at the mountain, it's like, I want to live there forever. I want to have a house there. I want to live there with my family. I want to have people with me. I don't want to be alone. And I want it to be warm and comfortable. I thought about like, what is this mountain in this analogy? And I think it's really like, it's your North Star. It's what you're creating. It's your foundation. And when you have a North Star that you're working towards, it's like, you can think of like Noah building his ark. It's like, that's his focus. That's his entire dedication. That's his life. And when he's focused on building the ark, nothing else is important. Distractions are not an issue. And if people ask him like, why don't you watch porn or something? He's like, because I don't want to. And for me, that's been like the, an epiphany that I've had is like, the goal is to get a place where you just don't want it. I just don't want to, right? And people ask me sometimes like, why don't I drink? And this is funny. And I've mentioned this at a workshop one time. Like, I just don't drink. And the people are like, why? And like, because I don't want to. And then someone came up to me afterwards and he was very sincerely like, but why don't you drink? And I was like, because I don't want to. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's like, yeah. I just don't have a desire to. It's not like, sure. I'm like, oh, I, I really want to go to the bar right now. I just don't want to. So to the same degree, it's like, how do we get to a place where it's just not an option? It's not it's just like, I don't want to do it anymore because that's not who I am. It's not who I want to be. And that's yeah. it. There's nothing that I can argue against myself to that. It's like, this is just not who I want to be. I feel yeah. very judged and I hate you. So the thought <laughs> process that we have in this maintenance phase is like that people are comfortable in their own skin and that you're still striving to improve constantly just because you realize how much fun it is to intentionally design your life, curate your life, like building your life. But it's out of a place of wanting to build the positive rather than trying to avoid the negative. And so if you can imagine being in a room filled with super engaging, positive, bright, smart people, and you're having the best conversations of your life, you go from one table to the next, and you're just so enlightened with every conversation mm -hmm. that you have, the likelihood of you running out of the door running out of the building and just screaming at the first person that you see and gossiping and hating them and complaining is so small. Like, why would you leave that place of 
high connection and wonderful conversation to go destroy yourself. Like nobody would because it's so gratifying being in this healthy world. And that's kind of like a life that you don't want to escape. You're allocating your time doing such meaningful stuff that it's just so counterintuitive to waste an ounce of that energy on doing something self-destructive. You know what I mean? Like, hey, my wife, I love my wife and kids so much. I'm just going to go out and do some methamphetamines. It's like that doesn't work. It doesn't compute. It's like it's when you're struggling. It's when you're in pain that we take on these things. So the whole idea is to create a life that you could never fathom wanting to escape, even in difficult times. Even the best marriages have their challenges. But when you're committed to a radiant blessing, to a radiant couple, radiant family, it's like you welcome those challenges because you know that there's growth on the other side of that. You don't want to escape it because like, why would you throw away this thing? It's like making this five-star meal for your family and then just throwing it on the ground. <laughs> it's like I made a bacon-wrapped filet mignon Christmas, bro, to perfection. It was delicious. I can't imagine spending so much time and money and effort making this delicious meal and then plating it perfectly and then just smashing the plates and then just spitting on it. Like it's not healthy behavior. You would only do that if you were lost in a fit of rage, if you couldn't control your emotions. So, I mean, all these are weird, awkward, clunky metaphors to try to drive home the point that when that is your life, when your life is at filet mignon, you've invested so much of yourself into creating this beautiful thing that you're presenting well and you're so excited to enjoy together with the people that you love, you wouldn't fathom wasting it or tarnishing it or breaking it. It just doesn't make sense. And so that's what we're hoping that you can do is get into a place where you're maintaining the good in your life to such an extent that you're willing to go through the challenges that come with any aspect of life. There's no funnel to waste your time and energy on stupid self-destructive stuff. Those are the five stages and we'll have it on our website. We'll distribute it. I think this roadmap is going to become kind of like our five high noon virtues. It's the thing that we're going to be advocating that you learn about because sometimes you can vacillate. And even in life, you'll be contemplating changing in different ways and different aspects of your life. Like, oh, I'm going to maybe become a vegan or maybe become keto or whatever. And it's the same process, same process of change. And if you're living the high noon life, you're always looking for ways to amplify the good in your life and in other people. So you'll be at the top of one staircase and then you're at the bottom of the next flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. That's life. It's not one long staircase. It's a series of shorter staircases and you go to the top and then guess what? You're at the bottom of the next one. And that's what gives us meaning and challenges us in life. So please learn these five stages. Please study and also identify where you at and it'll help you a lot. And it's also going to help our facilitators and it's going to help our participants, all that really get clear about where they're at and what they need to do at this stage. If you want to recap, number one, trapped and unaware. Two, open to suggestions. Three, on the edge of change. Four, taking action. Five, maintenance for lifetime. It's really time that we accept that our destiny is greatness as a human race and that we've been settling for wars and abusing each other and all that because that's all we thought we were at stage one of humanity in my view until true parents right we were trapped and unaware and now we're coming out of that spell and humanity's graduating to the next level so the more of us that 
are completely in maintenance of like strong health towards our North Star goals, the more that society itself will join us. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Benji, for helping us clarify these deep concepts. And we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody, Andrew Love here. And I just wanted to let you know that we have completely revamped our offering known as the Ascend Program. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that the Ascend program has been our flagship porn recovery program for years. And we've added a lot of content, we've tweaked things here and there, but recently we've completely done an overhaul in terms of our approach to recovery. And here's why. You see, originally we tried to appeal to everybody and we just let everybody come in. Anybody who said that they wanted to tackle porn, we just let them join. And there's a very low barrier of entry. But what we found was that a lot of people who thought they were ready to tackle their porn addiction or who kind of wanted to, they didn't always show up in the best way. And they, in many cases, brought the group dynamic down. And so what we've done is we've made the barrier of entry a little higher. And in turn, we've made our offering much more powerful. Let me explain. So when you sign up now, there is a small fee for everybody to sign up, but you get that money back once you finish that quarter. It's in kind of an escrow as a challenge for you to take your time more seriously because if you put money into something and you're only going to get it back out if you really try, if you really attend your classes, if you really do all the work, then guess what? Your motivation to do that work is much higher. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we are, of course, offering our weekly call groups as a part of the Ascend program. So you'll have your group that you meet with every single week, and that's super important. But in addition to that, you're going to get daily accountability. You'll be able to message with somebody every single day in order to stay on track with your North Star goal. And more than that, every quarter you get two one-on-one calls with a high-noon staff. That is a one-on-one call where we do a deep dive into where you're at and where you're going. And we help you to diagnose precisely what actions will be most useful for your time, for your energy, so that you can get the biggest results for your energy spent. So we are doing our best here at Highland to make sure that you grow the most in the shortest amount of time. It's all a part of our new roadmap that we've created. Anyway, we've been doing this for a while, but we're always getting better and better. And this quarter, the first quarter in 2023 is going to be monumental. So please sign up for this Ascend program. Take it super seriously and just watch what happens. Watch how your life transforms in a short period of time.